I'm Michael R. Malley, and this is Fresh Green Blessings, reading the Judeo-Christian Bible through a Buddhist lens with Mother Earth eyes. Welcome once again to Fresh Green Blessings. And I'm Michael R. Malley. And I'm Molly Ren Erickson Malley. And today we have a Bible reading from the book of Numbers. Now, Numbers, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a book of the Bible that you seldom hear much about. Uh, but we'll, we'll have a quote from Numbers, chapter 3. And then I will have a blog reading followed by a Dharma talk, a mindful reflection, a guided meditation Dharma talk. And I think in this, in this uh, particular entry, we get a little bit of a feel of one of the deep values um, or one of the deep blessings that, that we gain when we read the Judeo-Christian Bible through a Buddhist lens. And so Ollie will read numbers for us and then I will do the reading of my blog. It's also there online if you'd like. And then we'll have the Dharma talk and Ollie will have a few closing words. As always on Fresh Green Blessings, we invite you to enjoy the sound of the Tibetan singing bowl, to be present with the bell. Here's the sound of the bell. Today's reading is from Numbers chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west. With Eliastaph, son of Lael, as head of the ancestral house of the Gershonites. The responsibility of the sons of Gershon in the tent of the meeting was to be the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the hangings of the court, the screen for the entrance of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar, and its cords, all the service pertaining to these. Nobody reads numbers. Why would they? In the deep mythology of the Judeo-Christian tradition, we have the tabernacle or Ark of the Covenant, wherein unfathomably dwells the source, creator, great sacredness in all its majesty and terribleness. See also Exodus chapter 25. Imagine having the Mysterium Tremendum in the box, the seed of the Big Bang in a jar, in Shambhala, the sacred path of the warrior, it says that there is this tremendous power belonging to no one, but available to everyone. To access this sacred power requires meticulousness. One has to pay attention to personal details. The way one turns on the tap, combs their hair, brushes their teeth, all the details matter. This power is like 
a great typhoon that can create tidal waves and knock down huge buildings, but, quote, the personal experience of this wind comes as a feeling of being completely and powerfully in the present, unquote. Shambhala, page 114. If the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh know and largely dwell in deep compassion and vast joy, it is because they lead incredibly disciplined lives of mindfulness and meditation. Did not the Buddha and Jesus dwell in meticulous discipline? How would the Buddha move his hand? How might Jesus walk? Thich Nhat Hanh's movements have been described as, quote, a cross between a cloud, a snail, and a piece of heavy machinery. Presence, mindfulness, meticulous attention to the details. The Book of Numbers continues. The head of the ancestral house of the clans of Marari was Zuriel, son of Abihal. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. The responsibility assigned to the sons of Merari was to be the frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, and all their accessories, all the service pertaining to these, also the pillars of the court all around, with their bases and pegs and cords. Numbers chapter 3, verses 35 through 37. What is required of those who would dwell with the great sacredness? meticulous attention to the details, deep presence. The disciplined lives of the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh may seem like too much for us. Why would we even want to lead such disciplined lives of mindfulness and meditation? We don't even have the patience to read about disciplined lives in the book of Numbers, let alone lead them. Why would anyone read numbers? Nobody reads numbers. Some people say things to me like, Michael, you have such a great love of Buddhism and interest in Buddhism and you're so drawn to Mother Earth spirituality. Why do you spend all this time with the Bible or even the Christian tradition? What a blessing to try to discipline myself to read numbers. To try not to be just reading it for the sake of reading it, but to approach it as sacred text. to try not to skip over a word or a paragraph, but to enter the embrace of what is written. Of course, not just in numbers and 
not just in the Hebrew Bible, but throughout the New Testament as well. As I've shared before in previous podcasts, and as I'll share again, there are texts that are troubling. There are theologies that I disagree with. But there is also much that inspires. And there is much that I think is just waiting waiting to be found. I don't even think that's the right word for it. Maybe maybe it's it's more like the relationship between a, a gardener and their garden. And maybe sometimes I'm the gardener and the Bible is the garden. Maybe maybe sometimes the Bible itself is the gardener and I'm the garden. But to live in relationship with these words and these stories My 97-year-old aunt recently told me that when she was a little girl, my mom's 89, she's the youngest, and these two are the only uh, remaining of the seven children that grew up in the house that my other aunts and uncles. But my aunt Eleanor told me that their father would line them up and maybe have them share something that they had learned in Sunday school, maybe a Bible verse, maybe something that was shared in their church, in their Slovak Presbyterian church in Youngstown, Ohio. My grandfather helped to found that Slovak Presbyterian church. And my grandfather died in 1931 an accident at the steel mill. It is lovely to think of him opening up his Bible, reading it, trying to gain, grow, learn, become something more than what he already is through interacting with these words that were already well over a thousand years old. As he interacted with these words that were centuries, centuries, centuries old. There's a tradition called Lectio Divine, which is this kind of this sacred reading of the Bible. Reading it and almost chewing on the words, tasting the words, seeing what new flavors come through. It's a great blessing to get to offer fresh green blessings 
It's a great privilege to be able to engage in this sacred text of my tradition and to engage it in new ways, in ways that feel holy to me. And when I say feel holy to me, I I want to share with you that that's a ongoing process. That involves meditation and that involves prayer and that involves discernment and lots of wrestling. And for me that involves the great sacredness. That involves that tremendous power in the box, in the Ark of the Covenant. It was lovely to read numbers and to think of the details that are shared there. The care, the specificity, the assignment to varying clans. It strikes me that in this time, these times, we talk a lot about joy and happiness. I'm right now reading, I, I think I've mentioned on a previous podcast, I'm reading the Book of Joy um, about the friendship between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And both of these men, in their different ways, they have incredible joy. And they both lead lives of serious discipline. We tend to want to talk a lot about freedom. And Thich Nhat Hanh, when he talks about freedom, he says, let's talk about freedom from afflictions. Not just freedom to do whatever I want, but how do we get freedom from afflictions, freedom from pain, freedom from suffering? And part of that is discipline. Whether it's a practice of meditation or prayer, service, reflection, Lectio Divine, journaling, or just assessing the end of the day, how'd I do?
And it strikes me that we all want happiness, but it, as I wrote in the blog piece, it seems that those who really have a depth of joyful presence, not just a surface level happiness, are those who are embracing a certain discipline. They don't all have to be the same disciplines. Desmond Tutu doesn't do all the same things that the Dalai Lama does, nor vice versa. But they both have lives that have great focus. And so as we read Numbers, and we think of that Ark of the Covenant, we think of this Holy of Holies. How do we want to behave when we are near the Holy of Holies? A slow reverence, perhaps. A sacred mindfulness. A focused caring. And if on earth as it is in heaven, if we are today, right now, in the pure land of the Buddha, if we are dwelling in the kingdom of God, if we have but eyes to see that, then what is asked of us? Slow reference. Mindful presence. Meticulous care. Loving kindness. saturated with awareness. We want ease and a lack of constriction in our lives, but the ironic truth is that this requires discipline. Recall that Tai is described as both a cloud and a heavy piece of machinery. Today, give yourself five minutes to enjoy meticulous focus. We see this concentration of attention in children all the time. 
as they watch a bug crawl or draw a picture. Take five minutes and attend totally to the way your hand turns or pick one bird in the backyard and follow its every move or hold that hammer with all your mindfulness as you pound that single nail. Move like the sons of Gershon on the west side of the ark, working responsibly, meticulously handling the cords for the screen for the entrance of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar with the discipline of their full mindfulness. I'm Michael Armalley, and you've been listening to Fresh Green Blessings, where we've been reading the Judeo-Christian Bible through a Buddhist lens with Mother of Eyes.